0: Hi there, I'm Dan Jones, and this is my podcast, Climate Scientists. On this podcast, I have long, casual conversations with folks whose work intersects with climate in some way. This week, I talked with Emma Boland. So Emma, uh, we met actually back in Woods Hole in 2010. She was one of the fellows for the Geophysical Fluid Dynamics Summer School that they do there in Woods Hole. And uh, I was a visitor. I came for the first couple of weeks of lectures. It was the end of my first year of grad school in, uh, out of Colorado State. So I know we met back then. I don't think we had a ton of interactions back in 2010, but our paths would have crossed there. And uh, obviously, we didn't know at the time that we would be sharing an office many years later at the British Antarctic Survey in Cambridge, um, where we both work as oceanographers. So uh, Emma has done a lot of different projects, she's worked on mixing inspired by the Southern Ocean in a kind of Southern Ocean context. She's worked on Northern Hemispheric problems, Arctic problems, we talk about a lot of that. Um, I really enjoyed my chat uh, with Emma and it was uh, also nice to have a, a special guest host around. I thought that uh, since Emma and I have been office mates for a while and uh, that it could be good to have a third person involved in the podcast. So I invited uh, Ella Gilbert to come back onto the show and work uh, as a uh, as a guest host. And she very graciously agreed to do that. So uh, thanks to Ella for that. I thought that uh, that really helped having a third person in there. So Emma and I are both working on uh, adjoint modeling. Uh, Ocean Adjoint Modeling at the British Antarctic Survey, and we sort of formed a, an unofficial uh, two-person adjoint modeling team. Our, over, our work overlaps, over, overlaps a ton now, and she's uh, really a pleasure to work with, and uh, I've really appreciated having that kind of active scientific collaboration going on. Um, yeah, let me ramble just for a couple of minutes. <laughs> if you uh, don't want to hear it at school, you can skip ahead a couple of minutes. That's fine. So uh, I just got back from a work trip to Germany. Uh, I stopped by uh, the Alfred Wegener Institute in Hamburg to see uh, my friend and colleague and uh, somebody I went to grad school with. We've got the same advisor, Yohei Takano. And uh, yeah, that that was great. Hamburg went really well. It was lovely. It was hot. It was very hot, uh, which is unusual from what I understand. And uh, none of the buildings there <laughs> are really designed to handle the heat. They're more designed to keep the heat in. So uh, you know, if you want to stay comfortable, you've really got to get outside, get out of the buildings, get out of the structures. And I also stopped by Bremerhaven, and uh, I was hoping to visit Avi there. That was um, part of why I was going, but unfortunately I got really sick, and I wasn't able to actually go, give my seminar there. So that was disappointing. I'll have to try again in the future. I'll have to try to return. Uh, but my my host was super understanding uh, so he was very supportive and understanding and you know we'll reschedule things into the future, but that happens sometimes you know sometimes you just get sick, your body just wears out, you catch a virus, you catch something, and uh as much as you know especially maybe when we're young, we like to have this kind of uh idea that we can push through anything and uh push through any kind of illness or any kind of problem. The human body, it's just got limits. You know, it breaks at some point, and you just can't push uh, forever. Uh, there, there is a wall. You can hit a wall, and it's totally normal and uh, acceptable to sometimes hit that wall and to sometimes have to just say, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I can't stand in front of people and talk today because I can barely type out an email. I can barely kind of put a coherent thought together. I still don't really know what I had. But uh, it seemed like it was, there were some virusy elements to it. There were some super, like, sore throat elements to it. There were some, I can't quite focus, elements to it. It reminded me of um, back in uh, 2009, I guess it would have been. Um, Is that right? No, 2013. Uh, I tried to go to this atmospheric and oceanic fluid dynamics meeting in Newport. And,. uh, my poster made it. I made it and I put my poster up, but I did not physically make it to the, that conference. I spent the whole week just sick in my hotel room with a really high fever, um, trying to get better, uh, getting surprisingly emotional at old TV shows, which doesn't normally happen, but I think when you're in the grips of a fever, uh, for me, I get, I guess, more vulnerable or something. Uh so you maybe feel more affected by by kind of uh, things like that around you but you know uh, i i guess the only reason i'm talking about this and going on about this is to kind of say sometimes you get sick and sometimes you just have to accept it and there's nothing you can do about it you shouldn't necessarily feel bad about it it's it's got to be a normal accepted part of of life so uh yeah you just have to to move on let's just get into the conversation with uh Emma and uh, my special guest Ella Gilbert, thanks to both of them for their time, it was a really good chat I really enjoyed it, I hope that you enjoy it as well so, uh, here we go <laughs>
1: Well
0: Oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that surrounded by <laughs> surrounded by hosts on all sides um, I actually just pushed the recording button, so, you know doing the self-start thing. Cool. so We'll just kind of see. And the reason I'm a little, so I'm a little more paranoid about it this time, because last week I was trying to record with Alex Freerly, and I had a catastrophic crash, recording failure, my first actual like recording failure. Oh my. And we lost everything, because it crashed within the first five minutes.
2: Oh, and you didn't notice.
0: Yeah, and you might remember from when we recorded ours, I tend to just turn the brightness off, so it's not distracting, Yeah. so that we're not sitting there looking at, you know, there's a clock rolling by, and there are these audio spikes and things, and it could be very distracting, and it could be a little off-putting, sure. and I like to try to keep things relaxed, um, but that's the downside, is if you're not watching it, you, you know, realize. if you're not looking at it, you could have a crash or some big problem or something, and then you might just miss it entirely, um, so I, I've been, uh, I'm going to check it every now and then, but I'm going to also try not to look at it every, you know, five seconds, just, is it, it crashed yet? Has it crashed yet? No, I, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> See, it's making me nervous. I wish I could turn it off, but now I don't think I can trust it. I can't trust you, GarageBand, to not crash. <laughs> the trick was apparently, so I closed all the programs, and I did a, a restart to where it's, um, uh, there shouldn't be anything in the memory, you know, not, it shouldn't be much in the RAM, that way. Uh, there was also another, somebody else was logged in as well like on the same laptop so i wonder if it was just trying to do too much work. The error i got was um hey the disk is too slow. It was having a hard time writing, you know, to the yeah, disk right. as quickly as it needed to, which i guess could be a ram issue. But uh yeah. So i need to but i need to chill out cuz i don't need to spend the whole time talking about the the audio program and things. So um yeah, thanks for thanks for doing this.
2: No, my pleasure. Yeah, glad Looking to have you. To mm-hmm.
0: Glad to have you on as a guest host. <laughs> yeah. So it's um, how things have been going. Good, pretty yeah. mental. mental?
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Got a lot on. Um, I just applied for this NERC Impact Award. Okay. So that's taken up quite a lot of my time, mm. as I'm sure you're aware. Proposal what? writing and application writing takes quite a while.
0: Yeah, it does. What did that involve?
2: Um. Demonstrating that I've got impact beyond academia. Oh, okay. From science communication and public engagement and stuff like that.
0: Right. how do you do that?
2: Um, From using some stats that the comms team put together for me, okay. which is nice. Cool. About like, my blog posts and videos and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> using stuff I've got already, talking about the website, the yeah. podcast I do, the YouTube channel I run. Yeah. film I'm making. Nice.
0: And I'm sure this podcast also would put you right over the... Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> Take <the Yeah>. box. <laughs> Straight over the edge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, you are really active with that. It's a... So important. So you're making a film?
2: Yes, I've made it, and it's being released next week to promote Bus's, um involvement in the Twin Otter... What's, what's that? The half of the centenary. 50 years, if there's a, sp- a special word for that. Um, Bye. It's not Bison, that's not bi-centenary, That's
0: two hundred. That's whatever the half of. Demi centenary. <laughs> <Demi-centenary. laughs> How many prefixes can we get on there? <laughs> Demi hemi centenary. <laughs> it's one sixteenth. <Yeah. 1/16. laughs> Isn't it <laughs> obvious from all of the prefixes? <laughs> you just have to do some backwards maths. <laughs> yeah.
2: So yeah, then I'm also I've got an annual review coming up. So yeah. writing thesis chapters and reports and all that jazz. So
0: an annual review for your for your PhD stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to show that I guess you're making progress and that yes. you're, you're not just uh, floundering and, you know, that not you're not just chatting
2: you know, to random people who aren't inside. science, yeah. Actually doing the research that I should be talking about. Yeah. So you're,
0: <laughs> that you're not just doing podcasts. And, no, That would be quite nice, but yeah. I think
2: it, I'd run out of material after a while.
0: No, you wouldn't. You'd just keep talking. <laughs> no, it never stops. You, there's no end to it. It's the best format. I love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, I, I kind of wish I could do this a little bit more often as well, you know, and it's because uh, it's it is an outreachy part of what I'm doing, but um, yeah, it'd be nice to do it a little a little more because I've really been getting a lot out of it to make it about me and to be selfish. But, <laughs> but, um, but it it seems to people seem to like it. I mean, they're uh, I've gotten a good amount of positive feedback on, good. you know, on Twitter and whatnot. So how about yourself? You must have received some kind of Feedback from people. I guess that's what the comms team helped you put together, right? Is from all of your yeah, stuff. Um,
2: yes. I mean, particularly because I have the only footage of Larson's iceberg mm. apart from NASA in the world um, that's got quite high impact. Yeah. Um, so I've been approached by some people to license it, which is cool.
0: License it. What does that mean? What does Means that involve?
2: That, um, they pitch it to all the major news outlets that they work with, mm. and it makes money. Okay. Slash gets coverage more importantly.
0: For someone. Somebody somebody somewhere else. Yeah, I mean they
2: make money off it really. (laughs) And then Bass gets a bit,
0: but Oh okay. So
2: depends how much it generates in the first place. I About, have no idea. For
0: the person who created it.
2: I mean, yeah. <laughs> a little bit,
0: okay, yeah. That, that's fair, right? If you make something and people use it and make money off of it, then some of that should come yeah, yeah. your way. Where's my cut, you <laughs> <laughs> right, <yeah>. uh, Absolutely. <laughs>
2: yeah, so that's had quite a wide-reaching impact, which is cool. Nice. Yeah, I've been working with um, a filmmaker, actually, doing some science presentation on TV.
0: Oh cool a local person here or no, no?
2: Um, she's kind of between New York and London. Oh nice. Yeah. Yeah. So bizarrely a mm. friend of someone I met in Antarctica. <laughs>
0: That's how it works. So yeah.
2: You go to Antarctica and then you <laughs> launch a burgeoning science presentation career on T V. That's, that's the best place.
0: That's the best place to network. <laughs> Antarctica. It's a yes. very speci- very specialized kind very of very
2: specialized. Not that many people. So mm-hmm. if there's no one that can help you, then <laughs> that's that.
0: So this person, she's made a uh, career out of make- science filmmaking, kind of. Well, she's what a filmmaker. She's a filmmaker. Sorry. Okay, yeah. There's a um. The, Not specifically science, but there's an oceanographer, J.B. Salee, who used to work here, and. Uh, he moved to Paris a while ago. Hello. Hey. Hi. Come in. How you doing? Yeah,
1: to see you. Hi. Hey, I don't think we've met. Hello. Nice to
0: meet you, Alan. <laughs> yeah. Glad you're here. <laughs> we were just talking about um science filmmaking and I was bringing up uh JB Sley who used to work here. His partner, you know, makes science films. Yeah. I think they're in French because they're French and it's yeah. uh, mostly in Paris and so they uh so it's kind of an interesting, you know, they have this scientist and science filmmaker, you know, couple, and they have couple. made a yeah made a thing out of that yeah. And Ella was saying she's working on a film that, or she has oh, done a, cool. a yeah. an outreach film, and it's going to be released next week.
3: Oh, awesome! Mm. So what's what's it on?
2: So it's basically the science we did while I was in Antarctica this season, um, using the Bass Twinotter instrumented Twinotter, so the massin Side of things oh, yeah. because there's not really very much on the web about it, and mm. it's really cool and it must be yeah. really visual. Fly I mean. around doing really cool stuff, and yeah. there's not yeah. even any pictures really apart from like the generic press shots. So I thought, you know what, we should yeah. promote this because it's really, really awesome. We
3: Can saw it? some, um, they should so the orchestra meeting we had last week. I don't know, you said they were, not yet. No, Tom was showing us, was it Tom? Yeah, it was Tom showing Black us, Lachlan, some, Cope. yeah, showing yeah. us some like video of it flying over the JCR it was pretty cool
0: it had a little penguin for scale right a little model penguin <laughs> yeah. was that you did you take did you take that, that I wasn't on
1: the
2: fly the fly over the JCR unfortunately okay. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah.
3: but yeah it does look like it goes pretty close to the ground
2: yeah yeah I guess we went down to 50 foot which is what about 15 metres Wow, <laughs> I mean, you could you you feel like you could lean out the window and touch the floor. <laughs> I just touch
0: the uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my hand's gone. <laughs> Darn, I miss, I'm gonna miss that. Yeah, so that's a good bit of outreach to do, and um, that makes me think of you know Emma. You did this journalism. Uh, was it called a fellowship or it was like a placement? Yeah. So the...
3: yeah, I was. Um... A media fellow for the uh, the British science association anyway, so they do it every year it's something uh Hamish Pritchard's done it in the past Emily Shepard actually did it a long time ago on tomorrow 's world but you apply to the british science association and then they place you in um uh in a media organization so like a paper or people are on country file and things like that um in the, with the b b c mm. for like a some replacement for it. it's normally like three to six weeks and then you also go to the you do some training then you do that and then you go to the british science festival and you kind of if you're like working for a paper then you'd report from the science festival for your paper but or otherwise they kind of just help out and do other stuff but
1: right.
2: yeah i think that that role is it the royal society does something similar but they might um, be a bit longer. I remember reading them. It I think like, they do don't do it like... if you're doing a PhD. It's too much work. So, yeah. Okay then. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I vaguely
3: was a bell. I think that was more hardcore, there.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, sounds, it sounded really hardcore. Okay. It sounded like long and intense. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: And this was a few weeks. Like, add a paper, and you you wrote some stories, right? You read. You yeah, a yeah. Story so and you I was kinda...
3: a, I based at the S- Scotsman in Edinburgh. So yeah, I mean, I was basically the environment reporter. They don't really have. I mean, papers these days. Especially, like, small ones don't really have environment or science. I mean, I was the environment and science correspondent all rolled into one, basically. So it involves just sitting and looking through press releases every day and then trying to pitch them. Be like, this could go in the paper. <laughs> this, like, is no.
2: cool. <laughs> this is cool. But this in the paper. <laughs> it's
0: not interesting. But then either. on the day, the editor makes a decision as to whether or not yes. it's going to go in. Yeah.
3: And you really, yeah. I mean, you've got a few hours in the morning. It's interesting to see all works behind the scene. I mean, you really do have to write the press release for them because, I mean, the press release has to almost be the article because you don't really mm. have much time to do anything else. And you know, most of the most of the stuff I don't know anything about because it's not my area of speciality, right? Yeah,
0: would you mind scooting just a little bit that way? Yes, yeah. that's all right. They're, they're pretty good mics. They should be totally fine. But I just thought it might be maybe good. Yeah. 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 So like um. But it must be weird, right? Because you write the story or you write a piece, and you kind of know like, well, there's a pretty good chance that this just isn't going to go anywhere, that you can put it in your file, I guess, but you know, there's a pretty good chance that the thing you're working on just isn't going to end up in the paper.
3: Yeah, well, you don't write it before they say yes or no. So the editorial meeting's quite early, so you, um, you just send them a few sentences, or you send them the press release. Um, um, and then they either say yes or, they come back yes or no, and you've got Till you know, till close of print that afternoon to write it. So it will be. I mean, mostly it's rewriting the press release and then getting some quotes for color, you know, color
2: right. So, so
0: maybe try to call calling some a people.
3: scientist who's not on the pap- on the um, story to get a comment. So you know, it's like the. Other scientist who was not, not involved, involved in the yeah. project says, <laughs> "Right, I mean that's <laughs> the person who answered by email." The, <laughs> journalism, right? I mean, so I mean that's the bit of journalism. So, if, for example, at the Scotsman they would prefer you to get someone from Scottish University to do that bit, just because that's what. But um, yeah, it was interesting. And then the Science Festival was very cool. It was in Newcastle that year, so I did a bit of reporting back. Yeah, I mean that was more of like I'd write up quite a few things and send them back to the Scotsman and. Only one or two would end up in, but you know, it was fun. It's pretty good success rate, isn't it? Yeah, in fact, yeah. And I mean, I did also manage to get in. So while I was there, they had an exhibition in Glasgow of photographs of the new uh, Rothera. Um, you know, the kind of really cool photos, of the new Rothera. It was showing in Glasgow, so I got that on my w- information about that on my work email. But then so, I sh- Rothera Heli? no it must have been Hallie Hallie, yeah. <laughs> it's the more photogenic one <laughs> <laughs> the big modular blue one I'm showing the fact that I've never actually been <laughs> no, I to either idea. of those places but yeah so then um, then I showed it to the um, guys at the Scotsman and they sent it to their picture desk so that was one of their like you know it was like a half page with the kind of nice pictures yeah. just saying you know, this is on in Glasgow go see it kind of thing did you have so to
2: find like, pictures for your stories as well um, I always found that when I worked at a paper I found that the hardest thing oh so hmm. you
3: worked at a paper I mean, interesting no I mean most of the time it would be like a tiny tiny section of a column okay I mean very so you didn't have to worry about pictures no so I mean <laughs> I think they found stock pictures I don't think that was ever something I had to do What? so where did you work
2: um, I just I used to be managing editor of a student newspaper oh, okay. which is not quite the same as working at a paper yeah but much harder work yeah actually. the editing and the typesetting oh, mind-numbing
0: but pretty uh just like shuffling you know typesetting just trying to get everything to fit on the page and yeah 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 yeah. and so that the columns line up and all that stuff probably yeah it must be mind-numbing right i've got um my my wife's aunt uh worked for a, a paper in charleston south carolina for a long time and that was her job for like decades was here are all the ads, please fit them into our paper. It's
2: like Tetris. Some people are really good at it and they really enjoy it because it's like really finickety and really like... Yeah. Yeah. It it works a part of your brain that most people are like, "Uh, uh, I can't (laughs) be bothered. No, you think
3: technology would have like fixed that by now, right?
2: Technology has helped, I think, because if I had tried to do that by hand, I would... Probably have yeah. exploded. Yeah. That's part of
0: what LaTeX yeah. does, right? Is you give it some stuff, and LaTeX makes decisions about where to yeah, put but things. But then you'll end up it, with
3: sentences where all the letters are like three points <laughs> apart, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> that makes it fit. Yeah. <laughs>
0: LaTeX is like, look, I did it. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> no, that is not You have to <laughs> it right.
3: I mean, especially when you're getting to small, very small scales, right? Hmm. No, I think basically they they just send it back to you and say you need to lose two. Or they just the editors would just cut out two words, then rather than fiddle with it. Right? Yeah, that's what I used to do. <laughs> or add
2: words. Yeah.
0: <laughs> One of the things that um, I was surprised to learn about a lot of papers was that the the folks who write the stories are not necessarily the same people who write the headlines. And that's oh my! No, yeah. yeah. Headlines are the hardest. Yeah. If
2: someone could write my headlines
3: for me, I would have been <laughs>
2: absolutely overjoyed.
0: But, yeah.
3: Or so even if I occasionally got a little article in, so they're like, oh yeah, I don't know what's called the lead, the little, so like a mini headline that draws your eye to read the tiny paragraph that I'd written, yeah. So that was that would be written by the editors after they'd got everything, and I guess, you know, that they kind of took pride in that being their job to pull out
2: the interesting bit, and they wouldn't trust you with that because <laughs> it also has to fit in with everything else that's on yeah. the page. I suppose. So, yeah, exactly. So fit yeah, spatially,
0: it was and also it was interesting. they don't want it. to have really weird contrast, conceptual weird co- conceptual contrasts. And, yeah, yeah. But
3: I have read about that before. I think where people have complained about articles having misleading headlines or leads, and then it turns out that the journalist didn't. I'm like, yeah, but that wasn't my choice. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't seen, actually write that.
0: I've seen one example of that where the news article was about the the Atlantic meridional overturning circulation and concerns over its stability and whether it's slowing down. And the headline was really played up. The headline was like, the AMOC is shutting down, it's imminent, it's happening, right, yeah. it's is chaos. It's the day so, like, after tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, no. And there was, so there was a big contrast between you know the headline, which was a bit sensational, and the content of the actual article, which was more correct and reasonable. Right. Yeah. the thing
2: with science journalism, though, isn't it? Because often if you get journalists who aren't as well versed in the science. You'll get a scientist who's extraordinarily overcautious mm-hmm. and then you'll get a journalist who wants to sell papers and when those two meet sometimes it goes really horribly wrong
3: Yeah definitely. Although I think I mean scientists can be a bit too reticent sometimes to engage because sure. they're like well I don't know what I'm doing so I just won't engage I don't know. A passive language <laughs> Well yeah or just say I don't want to talk to journalists at all which I think I don't know. I think it's counterproductive I feel like you have slight, maybe, yeah. I mean, I I know people differ in their opinions, but I do feel like you have a slight moral imperative to try and communicate your work better. I can
2: completely agree.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're largely publicly funded. That that should be part of what we're putting out into the world is, you know, digested versions of, here's what I'm doing with your money. Thanks for that, by the way.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) And also, because science is for everybody, it's not necessarily just something that... Should be guarded in an ivory tower Yeah. For sure. locked doors. It should be shared because it affects everybody. Particularly the kind of science that we do at BAS. So oh, definitely, definitely.
0: Yeah, and I like the idea of getting other people involved and uh, you know, kind of lowering some of those barriers and yeah. lo- to participation. I don't learning have a, from each you know, other. Yeah, learning from each other. Um, you know, open source publications and open source software. And I'm I'm not saying I'm a perfect practitioner of that, but. You know that's something that I want to keep pushing and want to keep like you know, exploring a bit more, and um, I also think about you know how do we get folks who are maybe slightly outside of the community who maybe want to be involved with some aspect of climate science? How do we draw them in and how do we make them aware of opportunities or how do we construct opportunities for them? Um, I mean, uh, you know Ed Hawkins for example is doing this data recovery project where. You, know, you can go online and help digitise old records and things like that. And that's one way to do it, but there must be some other ways that you know, people haven't thought of yet.
2: Citizen science.
0: Yeah, citizen science.
3: Yeah. No, it's exciting, definitely. I mean, I think more people, if you give them the chance, people are interested in this kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and it might also give them a chance to see how some of the work is actually done, and like what actually happens, you know, how the sausage is made a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So thanks for for doing this. I forget if I already said that, but I want to no, say it again. No I'm glad to have you both here Thank for the for podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Um, yeah. So what you've been you've been at Bass for a good while. I should say we're we share an office. We've been office yes. mates for a long time actually, <laughs> which um, is part of why I thought it would be really good to have a co-host. It'd be good to have a co-host anyway <laughs> to mediate this. <but>, <laughs> well, maybe. But just like I've, I've thought that there might be a tendency for us to just talk and then to kind of Talk well, it, shop, it, uh, so may, maybe, familiar, I mean, yes. maybe, yeah, maybe a little too much. So I thought it'd be really good to have a co-host. So thanks for, Da-da. Coming, Da-da. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would, be, it would be good anyway. Like in general, I think, it's, I think it's, the three-person dynamic can be quite can be quite nice. Um, yeah. So how how long have you been? Here? So
3: I came to Cambridge in 2009 um, when I did my PhD. So my PhD was joint with the Department of Applied Maths and Theoretical Physics um, at the University and Polarations here. Um, So yeah, I took my good three and a half, four years to do that. And then I started here as a postdoc officially at the beginning of 2013 now. So yes, however many years that's been, five years now.
0: In your PhD, you thought about mixing, like ocean mixing? Yeah,
3: so it was um, Southern Ocean Dynamics, but it was quite a a range of things. I did some work. calculating an eddy diffusiv- diffusivity using satellite altimetry and a um, the MIT GCM climate model and then i also on kind of on diff- completely other end of the scale looked at jets that formed in a very simple quasi geostrophic two layer model so a very kind of toy model as models the ocean as two just two layers of water yeah. and only has a few set- a couple of equations that describes it
0: this eddy diffusivity term i wonder this is a challenge for us right now. Okay. Can we think of a really simple way to say what is eddy diffusivity? Probably have to say what eddies are first. Yeah, you're, so... You're, you're not alone. We can try to help you. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, I say eddies are like the storms of the ocean. Yeah, yeah so I like that. People know what meteorologists are. People know what storms are. But often people say, when you say I'm an oceanographer, you don't know what that is. And actually... I didn't know what a oceanographer was before. I now I as is one, right? <laughs> usually,
0: <laughs> usually people go, "Oh, you're a marine biologist," and yes. no, <laughs> sorry. Well,
3: I, you mean marine biologist? Well, no. But no, then, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I understand that. I understand that, right? People, you try and hook onto something familiar. I didn't know what an oceanographer was, like I say. So, I kind of say we're the atmospheric. sorry, We're like a meteorologist or an atmospheric scientist, except we study the ocean. Yeah. And I'm interested in eddies, which are like storms.
0: I like that. Our storms are small and slow. <laughs> exactly. exactly, exactly. So
3: the ocean moves slower and is thicker, so the storms are naturally smaller.
0: Yeah, so a diffus- eddy diffusivity is the tendency of those storms to do some yeah, mixing. So
3: it's a kind of mathematical way of, um, it, it puts into a, what we're trying to do is describe all of the things that eddies do in terms of well, you know, you can talk about mixing versus stirring all day long, but let's just say mixing and stirring. Um, that's a whole debate that fluid, fluid dynamicists get into, and which we won't touch mm-hmm. on.
2: <laughs> Sounds complicated. But basically, <laughs> oh, um, <no. laughs>
3: the flow of the ocean. So eddies can um, move fluid from one place to another, but they can also um, mix and stir that fluid. Yeah. So the properties like heat and salt and Oxygen dissolved, oxygen dissolved, carbon dioxide all get mixed by these eddies as well because they swirl around. And they're very energetic. So the diffus and eddy diffusivity is a way to try and describe that all with a single number that um, goes in a it goes in your equation for how the um, properties in a parcel of water change over time. So they change over time by things being pushed in by currents and also by eddies mixing and stirring and so this diffusivity number goes into your equation to tell you how much mixing and stirring you have so it's not um, physically representative your eddy diffusivity is represents all the processes that you can't Explain with this very simple equation basically. You're trying to hide all of those that mixing and stirring under one number (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, because there's motion and mixing and you know all these eddies happening at many many different scales And they could all be important potentially and they resist a really simple description of you know of how that flow could affect heat and carbon and things like that.
3: Yeah So I mean there's a there's an understanding on a very small scale in a lab setting of how fluid processes work, but then when you're talking about the entire ocean, it's impractical and um, to use that, on, uh, those kind of processes are all kind of averaged together in some mm-hmm. way and the, cas- the energy cascades in to, towards different scales and there's all sorts of complicated processes going on in, ter- in what we call turbulence, um, which is what, we th- what forms within eddies. Um, so, it's kind of impractical to think about what's really happening. Um, so we try to use this eddy diffusivity so that we can compare things, so that we can say, if we're looking at data from a satellite, data from a satellite that tells us about the currents and the eddies in the ocean can't tell us about that molecular scale processes, but it can probably tell us, hope, you know, we try and work out this eddy diffusivity that tells us kind of on average how much mixing and stirring is going on and that's a useful number because then we can go to a model which again most um big climate models don't model these tiny molecular scale processes that are yeah. actually really yeah. important for yeah. determining it even what, the
0: higher resolution ones just don't get down to that tiny scale no where, i mean yeah.
3: the highest resolution global climate models are like a 12th of degree which what we call eddy resolving but actually doesn't resolve it's nowhere near resolving all of the processes you need to represent true mm-hmm. mixing and stirring. No,
0: because like you said, even down at the molecular scale, that's relevant as well. <laughs> the molecular yeah. scale is relevant for climate.
3: And most of the models uh. in the late... So the last um, IPCC report, so Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Report, used models that were mostly not eddy resolving at all. So they don't have any eddies in them. So they have to use these just diffusivities these mathematical constructs to represent the effects of eddies, even though there's no eddies in the models. Yeah. So these numbers are really useful to compare the different models and to compare to things like I calculated from data like altimetry to try and see if we're getting, even if we can't put the eddies in there, can we put in the effect of the eddies? Right.
0: We've got a very complicated fluid dynamical picture and you were trying to contribute towards, how do we boil that down into some relatively simple representation that will at least get the effects correct. Exactly. No, yeah.
3: And in the Southern Ocean, eddies are very crucial for a lot of things. They transmit momentum from the surface to the bottom. So the Southern Ocean is super interesting to me,
1: obviously, it's my <laughs> speciality. Not <bicycle. laughs>
3: It's home to the Antarctic Circumpolar Current, which is the world's longest and strongest current. It goes all the way around. It goes all the way around. Exactly. It's not bounded by continents. So the balance of um, energy is that you've got energy, well, you can debate about this as well, energy input from the wind and also from um, kind of the slope of the uh, slope of the ice It's a very technical way of saying the fact that it's um, cold and cold near Antarctica and very warm and it gets warmer toward the north. So that kind of um, temperature change in temperature can actually support a current on its own, even without the winds. So you have really high winds there as well. So the combination of those two make a really strong current called the Antarctic circumpolar, circumpolar current that goes all the way around. And that energy input is balanced by bottom friction because you have no continents to stop it. Yeah, yeah. And it's thought that the eddies bottom friction are how you also... get the momentum from the surface down.
0: It's the form stress too, right? The pushing against large seamounts and things. Well, exactly, but how does it get there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the eddies. Mm -hmm.
3: So the eddies get get it to the bottom where it kind of... The earth pushes back on the current, basically. (laughs) Um, Foot on the brakes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And also they're crucial for the... What we call the meridional overturning, which is north-south transport. So there's... As well as transport around Antarctica, uh, east-west that goes to the east. There's also um, north-south transport that's actually also vertical transport yeah, as well. Yeah. <laughs> so and it's all north, very complicated. And the
0: north-south transport's doing some of that work to move the uh, excess heat from the tropics to the poles so it can radiate back out to space, and the ocean's doing some of that work, doing um, a fair amount of that work. The atmosphere does most of it, actually, on sometimes scales, right? But the uh, the ocean has a big contribution to moving you know, heat exactly. from the tropics to the poles
3: yeah and the eddies are crucial so that wind if you um look at the coriolis effect the wind pushes the water one direction and the eddies push it that uh, help push it in the other direction so, that you end up with a kind of ov- overall overturning. That's kind of very bad way of describing it, isn't it?
0: <laughs> no, no, we're doing fine. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah.
3: Being very technical. I w- mean, I'm waving my arms in a way that no one can see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what
0: was that PhD experience like for you? Like, um, you said three three years and you were up the road here. Uh, the dam has this really beautiful modern kind of campus. That must be kind of an interesting. I don't know. I always like going down there. It's kind of inspiring. It's like this.
2: Yeah,
3: I mean, to be honest, compared to the offices at Bass, no, no offense to Bass at all. <laughs> the office, I mean, it, it was built in I think 2003, maybe. Sounds right, yeah. The, the CMS the Centre for Mathematical Science, is lovely, and a nice big office on a corner with glass looking out over grass, um, looking out over the um, grass outside, and it has a kind of central core which looks a bit like Teletubby Land. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. got grass <laughs> on the, it's got a round curved grass roof.
0: I like how if you look from above, the buildings are arranged in a parabola shape. Yeah. So then,
3: yeah, they have. Um, so nerdy. Um. Yeah. So there's the central core, and then you have p- round pavilions kind of set around it, like in a horseshoe yeah. parabola. Yeah,
1: yeah. So <laughs> and had... so
3: that's where your offices are. So they're in. They're all in a circle around a central staircase. So it feels very collaborative. So everyone keeps their doors open, and you can kind of, you know, you know who's in because you can see. You can see all the different. Um, offices and then every pavilion has its own small common room on the bottom floor but then you have the main common room as well yeah. where people give tutorials to undergraduates and have their lunch and
0: those common spaces are important right because yeah. if you don't have those um there's a tendency for folks to just kind of go into their office and maybe even close the door and to not talk and to not collaborate so you you have to put like a big open space and put some coffee out there, yep. and that coffee <laughs> no. crucial. Yeah, yeah, maybe <laughs> yeah. a fridge and things. So did that work pretty well out there? Yeah, I really liked it. And
3: I mean, from the perspective of the group as well, uh, DAMT has a long history of, especially experimental and very theoretical fluid dynamics, geophysical fluid dynamics. Yeah. So they have an exper a lab in the basement where they do a lot of, they've done a lot of famous experiments over the centuries. Well, not that lab, but. <laughs> The, you know it has that kind of history yeah. and um but that was a nice balance to coming here which is very much outward looking to the field so i really like that contrast that i had and i think that was reflecting my thesis i had some work that was very pen and paper computer right gfd yeah. and then some work that was you know i went on the field on one um cruise for um, doing field, helping out with field work as well, with bass um, as part of my PhD, and that's really that was a really nice contrast. I like that contrast in my PhD and getting to come here and meet people who are going out and like touching the water, right? <laughs> Not just the you know pen and paper. Yeah, because bass is
0: very uh, applied. You know, we, yeah. we're very we have a specific physical system that we go out and measure and think about. And yeah. folks here do pen and paper stuff, but yeah. the, the emphasis is certainly on. Yeah, you know, thinking about what the actual ocean is is doing, and um, going and measuring it, like you said, it's, it's need to be surrounded by that. Yes, yeah, so that must have been yeah an interesting contrast between the two places.
3: Yeah, I really like that actually. It was a nice. I mean, it got I think it gave me a very well-rounded uh, oceanographic education. I like to it <laughs> be
2: nice to have the the two together because it's you can get quite bogged down in either or. I think. If you spend too much time doing theory, I mean my brain explodes, but maybe yours doesn't. (laughs) But it's the same with if you're constantly thinking about field practicalities as well, I suppose.
0: Yeah. That's one of the things I love about this field is you can you know, any on that spectrum from super theoretical abstract to, you know, how do we get this crate down to Antarctica? That spectrum. (laughs) You can you can be anywhere on that spectrum and you can kind of work on, you know, I mean you can't just pick exactly where you want, but you get you get some of all of that. You get you get different flavors. You get different styles of research, from theoretical to applied. Yeah. I, I love that. I really like that. Yeah, it gives a
2: different yeah, perspective definitely. as
3: well. And I like being in the role, the kind of role that we are done, where we're naturally we don't have to be involved in any of that, <laughs> but we can always put our hand up and get more involved. I mean, there's. In terms um, of like getting on a ship. Exactly. Like there's yeah. opportunities yeah. arise. I mean, you can't do whatever you want. But if you said, you know, I'm interested in being part of that field campaign, or you want to propose a field campaign, you can. Yeah. But we're, you know, by our nature, not forced to right. do anything like our that. Jobs. If we wanted to sit in front of the computer for the next five years, no one would <laughs> complain. <laughs> That's right.
0: Yeah, we don't have to go. And if we do go to sea and the project fails... It's not our problem. <laughs> not our direct problem, anyway. You know. Yeah, like, monads. Uh... <laughs> we... No, I admire you, Ella. Yeah. I
3: don't. I mean, I did experimental stuff, lab work in my like undergraduate, and I decided it really wasn't for me. It's. Too... I did design exactly the same. thing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's like yeah. oh, it's just just too messy. And messy, and that doesn't work. Exactly. Computers do it for you, and it doesn't exactly <laughs> what you expect. Well, yes. Sometimes. No. I mean, that's the funny man, thing, man, it man, doesn't. Man. You end up
3: having the same problems on computers that you get to the end. Re- you realise that all your results are wrong, and you have to rerun everything. Yeah. But, I don't know, Somehow, it still feels cleaner and easier than... You when you can't go back to
2: Antarctica if you've missed yes. it. I mean, it turns out the equipment wasn't working right. <laughs> you just have to fudge it. I think, like you said, having the contrast is actually quite interesting. For my PhD, I've been doing mostly modelling, but then also this field observational stuff, yep. which is it's nice to have the contrast.
0: Is the field stuff part of your PhD, or is it in addition to...? The field is work it?
2: I did last season was relevant, but I won't be using. Right, because okay. I
0: think there's a... There's even a rule these days, right, where the DTP PhDs, too many acronyms, mm-hmm. um, they can't involve fieldwork, I think. They have to involve data that already exists because really? because fieldwork is so risky. That's what I understand. Uh, right, I could be wrong propose, about that. So
3: uh, the PhD student will go and gather data and then find out what's interesting and write it up because that's too risky. Right, that's what I it
0: understand.
2: it could go catastrophically wrong. Yes. And right. Yeah,
3: because yeah, it's kind of unfair on the PhD student if it doesn't work, right? Yes. Yeah. Because they're not really... Yeah, you can't hold them responsible for the field campaign, basically, right?
2: I yeah, mean that, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so like you
0: could end up using observational data, but it needs to be getting that data needs to be somebody else's responsibility, yeah. and uh, you, know, you you shouldn't be expected to be the one who's yes. going and collecting that, you know, Antarctic data. Yeah. I, I guess it's here's some
2: data we want analyzed. Yeah, here's how we collected it. We'll give you an opportunity to do a similar thing to yes. understand the data better but the actual data we know is good quality, you'll be analyzing. That's yeah. right. Because yeah. that's basically what happens. Yeah, that makes more sense. Because yeah, we don't
0: want to waste three years of your life. We want to take I mean. good care of you <laughs> and so make sure you can graduate and finish and... Um, that
2: would be nice.
0: Wouldn't it? <laughs> and the uh, yeah, you, you occasionally not here, but you know in, in the states when I first started, I did astrophysics, and you'd occasionally hear st- horror stories about people whose PhD depended on you know particular satellite oh, launch, <laughs> and gosh. they can just blow up on the launch pad, and then you're like, well now what do I do? <laughs> like and
2: especially uh, in the states where. PhDs are so long.
0: Yeah, they can take the average is five to seven years over there. <laughs> I don't think
2: I would have. That it, includes in like
3: me. the equivalent of a master's, doesn't it? Yeah, and,
0: and it's you can often pick up a master's along the way. This part of how it works in yeah. practice. Uh, so yeah, typical undergraduate is uh, four years, and then the PhD could be five to seven years after that, which I think is why maybe it's well, a I'm little bit institutionalized into, no. by then. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah. expect you to work
3: for your during that time as well a lot yeah. compared to the uk
0: you you usually end up having to teach and you know you could be a research assistant yeah. and um which teaching is good i love teaching i think that's a good thing to do but um it, it can require rather
3: than like a nice experience on the side right
0: it can be yeah mm-hmm. depending on the kind of fellowship that you that you got where did you? You said you went on the ship. Where did you? Where did you go on that?
3: Uh, we started in Punta Arenas and we went into Drake Passage and then we went back to Punta Arenas and then we went into Drake Passage and then we went back. <laughs> <laughs> With we engine problems. This was part of the Dames oh. Research pro, um, Project, which was what my PhD was funded under, and I had many um, bad, c- cursed cruises. But <laughs> I mean, that wasn't bad. With they did have a captain die on one of the oh, U.S. Wow. cruises, so oh, no. that was you know. We just ended up. Boom, yeah, seeing rather more of Punta than we wanted to, uh, yeah. than anyone would
2: want <laughs> It's not that much there. No, but, you know, it was,
3: yeah, it, and then, yeah, so then it was like six, eight weeks at sea, I can't quite remember now, um, over Christmas and New Year, and that was, yeah, it was an experience. I was in charge of the selenometer. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, you so, know, it was kind of fun to get to know how everything works and watch other people Panic about VMPs and expensive equipment, but not have to worry about it yourself. And, <laughs> you
0: can you know. just go on the side and go, Oh no, that's bad. That <laughs> looks terrible. I'm <laughs> very glad I don't have to deal with that. <laughs> yeah.
3: That uh, was
2: the Drake Passage.
3: Yeah, windy. We did miss, by being back in Punta, we missed the worst storm. Oh, uh, but I did, there was a tourist ship that was in the passage at the time that had its old windows blown up, and the Chilean Navy had to go rescue them. Oh wow.
0: The tourist ship had its windows blown yeah. apart. Wow, that's uh, that's it's insane. Been,
3: yeah. Pretty <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think yeah, I coped okay. I'm I've been uh, been on you know done a lot of sailing before, so I feel like I have quite a good stomach. But yeah, I felt
0: so you didn't felt, get you didn't really get seasick. No, or... I got
3: very tired. I slept a lot. I think, I think I thought that I found I asked around. it was quite common actually. But I slept for like twelve, fourteen hours a stretch without. You know, without trying. Yeah, and you're not really doing much physical activity. I mean, it I did go like to it's the tiring. gym, but I think just the motion, the constant yeah. motion.
0: The ship's constantly rocking, so your body's always having to adjust. Yeah. Plus,
3: I was on the night shift, so I think your body's probably always like a bit confused about when it should be asleep. Yeah. Although it doesn't really. I mean, there's you know, there's only like three or four hours of darkness. So, and we were on UK time, so. Nothing really made sense, no, right? No, no, nothing makes sense. Time to that, go to sleep. Yeah. Oh, and
0: it gets dark for three hours it's in it. midday. They do give you these blackout blinds in your cabins, though, and that can help because that can make the cabins totally black and yeah. Yeah, that makes it no, a little I easier I didn't have, have any sleep.
3: problems sleeping, no. no <laughs> that doesn't sound like it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so the, um, it was mostly measuring the temperature and salinity of the ocean across Drake Passage there?
3: Yep, so we were doing CTD stations, so that's the kind of bread and butter of yeah. a field campaign. Taking temperature and salinity measurements in bottles um, and looking for the Dimes tracer. So, they taking samples at depths in the bottles and then they, the chemists. So, that was run by Marie yeah. Jose Messias, who's coming to talk here tomorrow. Yes, sorry, let's and back Jim up Midland. a second.
0: The Dimes tracer. So, the Dimes was this synthetic, you know, uh, human made tracer that was put into the um, Antarctic circumpolar current Yeah. upstream of Drake Passage yeah, in, in, in the, the Pacific. Pacific. And folks released it, and basically had campaigns to go back and measure it to see yeah. uh, how the eddies had mixed the tracer.
3: Exactly. So it was led by that aspect was led by Jim Ledwell from HUI um, in collaboration with Andy Watson and Marie Jose messias from who are now both at Exeter. I
0: always say her name wrong. I'm gonna to have to listen to <laughs> messias Well, okay.
3: Yeah. I think.
0: We, sh- we can ask her. Now that you're saying that, I'm worried. <laughs> we'll find it tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. We'll. we'll- Double Messias?
3: Check. Messias? I don't know. Sorry, but... sorry Marie Jose, if you're listening. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the idea was to look at... So you you put in a bit of this chemical um, tracer uh, that's naturally occurs at very low levels, but you can measure to have very high accuracy, so you can find it again, basically. And they put in, like, 200 moles of this tracer um, in... The Pacific sector of the uh, ACC, and then it went just upstream of Dray Passage, like you say, Mm -hmm. and then it was evicted through. So we were looking for the tracer basically. We were dropping our water bottles into the ocean and closing them at different depths and trying to find the tracer again. So the chemists had this big setup on the back in a container with this massively complicated equipment that they put the seawater through with take masses of really big. Uh, volumes of water from each um, tank to try and measure this really tiny...
0: It takes a lot, right? It takes many, many litres. I forget how many, but I've heard that, yeah, I've heard that, that you need a huge amount of So that was one of the things
3: that needed a lot of help, was sitting and milking the CTD, sat on a stool, and opened up the bottle and, like, filled up these massive glass bottles Mm. um, so that they could go and find, measure this tiny amount of tracer... Two hundred
2: moles is a minuscule amount. Yeah. To just get dispersed around the whole ocean. It's really yeah. tiny. Yeah. <laughs> On Earth, do they measure it so precisely, yeah. and they had to come
0: up with something that doesn't react with anything. That's just totally it's inert. In the Did yeah. they not
2: think they could just put a tiny
3: bit more in? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Well, I mean, this is yeah, this is kind of wow decision that yeah. I have no idea what, how they go about making that, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I think it came from a lab somewhere in Europe, and presumably
2: they, maybe it's maybe they could measure it. Yeah, this must be obviously. Well, that was the design,
3: right? They could measure in tiny quantities, and they did. We did. It lasted. It didn't take as long as predicted by models to go through. So they, actually, people went back like for six years, I think, in the end, measuring it. Um, I
0: hear there's a few barrels of this tracer at Jim Ledwell's house. (laughs) That's what I've heard. (laughs) He needs to get rid of somehow. (laughs) Can do another dive somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah, But
3: you never know. You'd have to do it somewhere completely different. You never know, it was the original one. But yeah, and so they were mostly doing that, looking for the tracer um, in a kind of across the Great Passage. And then we also, there were people who were doing VMP measurements yeah. of the sites.
0: Vertical cool. microstructure so profiling. That's, yeah, dropping yeah.
3: very expensive, um, what look like rockets, but the rock way around, into the yeah. ocean that are designed to detect where the seafloor is and then let go of a weight and come back up. And they take uh, measurements of temperature and salinity and other, and turb- you know, microstructure. So when we say microstructure, we mean very small scale turbulence. Yeah. So they have like they'd have two temperature probes very close yeah. together to try and measure small scale changes in temperature. And the
0: instrument has these bristles on them too that are sensitive to motion, and that's how they detect some of the small scale, yeah. you know, currents, the small scale fluid motion.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. We did spend a lot of time... So they have these radio transmitters on top, so you drop them down, wait for them to come back up, and you know roughly what the currents are from some of the ship's equipment. So you know which direction you expect it to drift in, because it's going down kilometres, right? In some places, three or four kilometres as you're going down before coming back up. So the ocean currents push it away from the boat. So you know roughly where you're thinking it's going to end up, but, you know, you're surrounded by water, and this is... You know, it's the size of a well. I don't know a wheel, a bike wheel at the top, right? I mean, and you only—it's got a little orange flag on
1: it, <laughs> but
3: that's it. So you're like standing on the top of your of the ship. We were st- stood in the. Um, uh, where they I don't know what the name is I'm terrible at all these the coverage. The bridge probably, oh, yeah. yeah. There's where so there's many people on where there the big steering wheel is yeah, where <laughs> the <laughs> is. Okay, yeah. Where the bridge. so you can see from all sides, so they have windows on all sides. Yeah. So everyone would go up because they wanted all hands to help look if you were on shift with binoculars and you're just you've just got water as far as your eyes can see in waves. And you're trying to spot this tiny little that orange flag. <laughs> and it's, like, worth millions of pounds. Yeah. And so whoever's in charge is like... <laughs> but like you said,
0: not our problem. Well, exactly. <laughs> and they
3: had radio transmitters on them. But they just, I don't yeah. know, they didn't seem to work very well. They, You know, I think there was interference with the ship's equipment. Hmm. So you're meant to be able to point, you know, move it around 360 degrees and it should you should be able to hear which direction the radio signals coming from but it was it never really worked we yeah. always found them there the birds seemed to like it yeah, that was another that was a good um help oh. a, a, you know birds could spot it and we'd be like oh what's that and go and sit next to it nice so yeah that would sometimes is this block? food yeah. this isn't food i'm so, <laughs> I'm so disappointed exactly <laughs> has it you misled me <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. i got all excited so before cambridge you were in edinburgh is that right
3: uh, I grew up in Edinburgh, yeah. um, I did my undergraduate degree in physics, well actually I did a, f- a four year undergraduate masters, which is a kind of more common UK thing these days where you just go right through four years and get a masters at the end.
0: It's a combined uh, yeah. bachelors So and you master's. don't
3: graduate, it's a way of getting the funding, <laughs> Anyway, it's technicality, but anyway. So I, I um, did that at Imperial College London
0: in just plain physics. Right, right, okay. Yeah. What was that like?
3: Yeah, it was fun. I, do, I interviewed at Cambridge. I gave a completely terrible interview, so ended up at Imperial, which was my second oh, choice. Oh no! <laughs> but it was really great. I loved it. I had, you know, I made really good friends. I had a really good time, and yeah, I'm glad I ended up there. <laughs> to what be was honest. it
2: like going to university in London? I feel like it's quite different to most other cities. Yeah,
0: because I, I don't know if you know Ella, you're still living down there, right? And you're commuting up. Yeah, you're I'm like from living London. In London. I was yeah, going to yeah.
3: you sound like you're a local. <laughs> you sound like you're from London. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whereabouts do you live? Uh, north. North, okay, yeah. so that makes Fins it easier to Park.
2: get here. Oh yeah, so you're on the Very line.
3: Very easy. Yeah, and you yeah. can
2: commute up, yeah. It, when the trains run, yeah. 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 <laughs> it was fun, I mean it's a
3: fun city to be in, right? It's expensive is the problem, yeah. so you don't, I mean, we only went to our union or we went to the other University of London union, so like King's or LSE. So student
2: life is a little bit more of a struggle than even usual.
3: and the accommodation is expensive. But, like, so I had, I was in the, like, nicest halls, which were literally next door to the Albert Hall. So, like, you could stand on people's balconies that you weren't really meant to, Mm -hmm. and the Albert Hall was right there. And also I could see the physics department door from my window, (laughs)
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So all I mean, very local then. <laughs> all to bed and intellectuals at the last possible moment was common. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you kind so, of squint yeah. to see if they started yet, I, think. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can get up
3: five minutes before and still make it. But yeah. It was fun. But um yeah, I mean there's a lot of fun things in London, right? But it does the expense. Yeah. And also I mean, so Imperial's in South Kent, which is a very posh area, right? So like just everything around you is so expensive. Yeah. You're surrounded by yeah. all these embassies and really expensive houses and cars. So you're in
0: an exciting city, but you're like, well, can't do anything. Yeah. <laughs>
3: but on the other hand, you're in your hard park as well, which is just really nice. Gorgeous. In yeah. the summer especially, just got the serpentine and yeah, very nice.
0: It sounds like you didn't have to take the tube every day because you were right there. No, yeah. You know, yeah.
2: Yeah. God, that must be a nightmare.
0: I like riding the tube every now and then, but I can every time Not I get on, Russia, I'm like, no, I'm like, horrible. I can cope with that for a little bit, but I, I can tell like if this was something I had to do as part of my commute, it would get, no. it would get tough. Anyway. I did
3: that a few summers, so I did the classic imperial thing, which is to do a banking internship during your summer holidays. I wasn't interested in banking whatsoever, but it's an incredibly well-paid summer job, so why <laughs> Better not? than a bar job, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. I mean, everybody, was the, either management consulting or banking, and I was like, well, I might as well, you know, went to 20 interviews, got one, was like, fine, um, get very well-paid to do something I'm not that interested in. But yeah, the summer commute on the Tube is just, oh. So what did that entail? So I did one in the, uh, in, I didn't want to do trading or anything like that, so it's too difficult, too competitive as well. So I did one in the finance department, which was um, of UBS, which was just, I can't remember, I think I was just mostly making an Excel database of stuff, I can't even that remember. Sounds thrilling. Yeah, it was a nice team, <laughs> but um, they offered me a job offer as well, so I, no, I mean I really was just there to get <laughs> it's like, to that's save some okay. money. I don't like money
0: that much. <laughs> exactly. And then I did one at Merrill
3: um, Lynch in the IT department, and again I can't, I don't know, I was doing some sort of project, helping out manage some sort of database, and again very nice people, but I'm no interest in making that my lifestyle. But yeah, I used that money to go traveling for nine months after I finished my undergraduate, which was. Much oh, nice. better use of my time. I'm like, where did you go? Yeah, that
0: was a well paid internship. Yeah. Uh, nine, nine, nine months,
3: unless, depends <laughs> where I went. <laughs> well, no, yeah, actually, I mean, two, doing Siberia. two summers, they gave, I mean, this was back before the crash. They paid you the equivalent of a full time graduate salary, but just for the summer. It was like incredibly well so paid. what,
2: 30k or something? Yeah, it was.
3: Oh my yeah, God. yeah. This was before the crash. I'm not sure they do that anymore. But, you know, yeah. me? I mean, I don't Fantastic. get paid. Seriously, I don't get paid well now as I did then. But
2: anyway. You're in the wrong industry, obviously. <laughs> seriously.
3: Crazy. But, yeah, so we did it. So my husband, my now husband, also came with me. And we went to, what did we do? We did South America for three months. We did a couple of months in Australia and New Zealand. And then we did um, three more months in Southeast Asia. And that was a lot of fun. Wow. That's great. Yeah. And then back to reality, moved to Cambridge. <laughs> I would good.
0: consider doing something boring for a few months. to Yeah. <laughs> to come yeah. I did actually. Yeah. No, I think about, I had a third job. So
3: before we left, I did. I worked, like, I don't know, as an office assistant for three or four months as well to yeah. get the last amount of money. So two summer internships plus an admin job for a few months. That
2: that, that got me nine months yeah. traveling. That's amazing.
0: Really cool. So what what pulled you... In the science direction, or what was the kind of... You know, so after that, you know, you had a clear sense of like, well, that's not for me, that's not a good fit. So it's good you did it, it's good you tried it, right? And Yeah, it's well, nice I, never, that I knew I never was going to do mm. that. I was
3: very practical about it, cynical. But um, I always... Yeah, physics, I love my degree and just really enjoyed it and wanted to keep doing it. It's funny because both my parents are academics at the University of Edinburgh, and I always swore I would never ever go to ta Oh, really I didn't <laughs> because know that. I didn't like their lifestyles they all I mean they still work incredibly hard, but they I remember I had a great childhood, I love my parents, don't get me wrong, but they worked weekends, they worked evenings, mm-hmm. they worked they could take their work on holiday, yeah, Oof. you yeah. know, my dad would come to school concerts, but then set if we weren't playing, he'd be sat outside on his laptop oh, no. and, you know and <laughs> oh, things gosh. like that, and I just thought oh, you know that doesn't look like a nice lifestyle. But then when I came, you know, I just kept following what I was interested in, which was physics. And I came to the end of my degree and I was like, I don't want to do anything else. I mm. want to just keep doing physics. That's what I like. Yeah.
0: Um, you made me think of it's that academic thing, like, I can work any time I want. Oh, I can work anytime. time. That means I <laughs> work every time. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, yeah.
3: I don't know. I think Bass is actually quite a nice place to end up because you get, <clears throat> get to do research and you don't have to there's uh, many of the trappings of academia of uh, time that drains on academics, which are, you know, teaching, Which is important, but I know what
2: you mean. Admin. admin. Yeah. yeah, They're all,
3: you know, admin. supervising, you know, master's students, which is all good and important work. And to be honest, I think I'd enjoy some of that. Hmm. I think it's the fact that it's the volume. Yes. We don't have any of that obligation here, which is quite
1: nice. Yeah,
0: yeah. We're technically for, for our position anyway. Technically, hundred percent research, yeah. and we can do some of those other things, and it's kind of encouraged, but it's not a requirement. No, and no, I enjoy yeah. teaching. I mean, I always
3: help. I did. Um, I tutored undergraduates when I was doing my PhD, and I helped out. At sc- I mean, I did some volunteering at schools while I was doing my undergraduate degree. I've always enjoyed, like, you know, teaching others. But I think, yeah, there's a point which it becomes a burden, uh, you know, if you're trying to balance that with well, finding any time to do research, then...
0: Maybe not a burden, but it is a pressure on your time yeah. that you have to manage. Um, yeah, it's finding yeah. a
2: balance of <coughs> things that you find rewarding and <coughs> are productive and interesting. And I
3: think, yeah, we have the advantage here that we can, uh, if we end up staying here, we have the choice to get involved in co-supervising PhD students with other institutes, but... That's about as far as it goes. You don't have to do. The
0: you don't have to teach lecture courses necessarily. Don't have to teach and lecture things. courses. Yeah. You
3: don't have to supervise undergraduate. Hmm.
0: Which I would enjoy, but is yeah. you know. But it, it, you're right. It does. It keeps things a little bit cleaner. That you don't have quite as many balls in the air to juggle. Exactly. Yeah. So your folks. You're like never. I will never. Follow in their footsteps. I will never be an yeah. academic. I was like, well, I'll and, do
3: uh, <laughs> a PhD because I don't want to do anything else, and I want to do, you know, I want to keep learning, basically.
0: Yeah. And kind of here, a PhD doesn't necessarily pigeonhole you into academia the way it might in the U.S. In the U.S., it's I think the you, you might have a bit harder marketing problem. You know, we were saying you've you've now spent four plus five to seven years, and it's harder to then go out. I think to go out into the world and then say I want to be part of your private company yeah because everyone think, else has
2: 10 years of experience on you
0: yeah yeah that's right but so you're I'm just imagining that when you're make, when you made that decision to do the PhD that it didn't feel like oh I'm definitely going to end academia I just no to... I
3: mean it was just a, that's what I want to do right now I yeah. mean I've been privileged enough that I don't have an, you know I didn't have to make a decision based on money or anything that I just was able to say look I, you know, that's what I'm interested in And um, yeah, so how I ended up in oceanography is kind of roundabout in that I did an atmospheric physics course in my final year of my degree, which was taught by Professor Joe Haig, who's now an IPCC author. Um, And I found that really interesting and I kind of liked the fact that there was was lots of equations. I was always good at maths and I liked the fact there was lots of equations and theory um, but there was, but it was also about something tangible and real, like you could look at the window, it was about the real world. Yep. It wasn't, I I mean, particle physics and all that kind of thing is fascinating, but, cons, you know, you can't grasp it in yeah. the same way yeah. that you can, I you know, know you, can't, you mean can't look out the window. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, coming from astrophysics, I, I definitely enjoyed that switch into something more kind of tangible and like something that I could stand on. Well, oh, exactly. be near.
3: So I asked... Um, Jo for some, a list of, you know, for recommendations of which, where I could look to do a PhD. And um, the Atmosphere Oceans group at DAMPT is one of the places she wrote down. And I emailed a few different groups and went and visited a few different people. Um, And I just, you know, I liked, when I came to DAMPT, I just liked the people the most. It seemed really, the group was nice and friendly. The supervisors were Peter Haynes at DAMPT and Emily Schopper here at Bass who are both lovely, and they said, "Well, we don't have an atmospheric PhD, but we do have an oceanography PhD. You could get to go to Antarctica on a boat." And I was like, "Okay, so yep. sounds I'm great. Sign me up." Exactly. <laughs> don't know what an oceanographer is, but you know, got three and a half years to work out. Right?
0: It's got weather slow and small weather compared to the <laughs> atmosphere. Exactly. Yeah. I
3: mean, they said, you know, given you given. I mean, one unit on atmospheric physics did not make me an atmospheric scientist either. So. I would start. I would be starting from scratch
2: anywhere. It's the taster, isn't it? that it wets your appetite. Exactly.
3: It was so. It wasn't like it was a you know going to be more difficult doing oceanography than atmospheric science. It was more just that like that was the opportunity at the time. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah, I'm glad I made it the decision that way. In that, I think choosing the people for your PhD is much more important than. This specific subject, just you
2: know, I reckon lots of people don't really know that or don't really recognise that at yeah. the time because you could end up doing a subject that yeah you're sure you're really passionate about, but then you have a horrible three years. And that that's, would be yeah, awful.
3: That's the advice I give e- anybody who yeah says I'm thinking about doing a PhD. As I always say, find p- nice people. Basically, you don't you know because you don't know anything yeah really. I mean. About your subject until you do your PhD, you, you basically know nothing. So it doesn't really the subject doesn't matter if it's, it's vaguely in an area you've already chosen that you're interested in. Right? The specific PhD doesn't matter. Is the people? The only people I know who've dropped out of PhDs, the only the common link is a relationship breakdown, yeah. or who've had or who have not. I know some people who have finished their PhDs but really did not like the process.
2: Hmm. Yeah, and, same. It's and, always about relationships. And it's always relationships.
3: relationships. Uh, it's been about yeah, the, the relationship advisor between relationship. the advisor and the rest of the group and the student. Um, so, yeah, that's my biggest advice, it's always. Just find people that you like to work
0: with yeah go meet them you know go uh spend some time with them see if you yeah. have a f- feeling if ask you would ask like their to be a... students
3: what they're yeah. like and try and gauge yeah what yeah. they're trying to tell you without <laughs> saying yeah.
0: do you see fear in their eyes well, exactly how often do you <laughs>
3: see your supervisor you know if you email them yeah. to you know are they easy to get a hold of you know that kind of thing do they
2: have me forward thinking of you i think
3: well, I didn't do that, but this is the advice I give other people now. <laughs>
2: even, even thinking about the people that you were going to be working with beforehand, I think it's something that lots of people don't do. Mm. No. They just yeah. look at the subjects, I guess. Yeah, so. and you mm. go, oh, I love this niche element of cloud physics. I'm mm. going to do that.
3: Yeah, it sounds so cool. It's like Whoa. Lasers, wah!
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Things can be very different in experience than they can be on paper as well, especially yeah, in areas of science you don't know very much about, background. You can sell something on paper that actually turns out to be a lot of boring <laughs> grumble work, yeah, right? It's quite dull. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Here, sort through all of these images and look for blue dots. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, how did you end up moving for astrophysics or oceanography? Was it just more by what opportunities were available, or was it a kind of specific choice?
0: Well, it's interesting that you um, kind of mentioned that because I was in a, an astronomy PhD program and I had a uh, relationship breakdown with my advisor and so I stopped that and decided to do something else so it's interesting that you just yeah, you yeah. just mentioned that um it and it was we just weren't a good fit for each other it's not uh it's not a negative statement about my advisor yeah. but it's just um I think I wasn't old enough and kind of wise enough to recognize that like oh this is not going to be a good situation tough, uh, yeah yeah, it's hard it can be hard to gauge that you know a priori before you yeah. do it's anything know, the
2: best of times let alone when you haven't
0: really got any experience of no. professional working relationships yeah definitely but uh the, he was a very hands-off kind of advisor it was kind of more like well why haven't you done anything brilliant yet like, where's your <laughs> where's your amazing work and i needed a, a bit more guidance than that i needed a bit more direction than that mm. and other students you know it might thrive under that kind of particular uh, supervisory set uh yeah, I wasn't confident enough, I don't think. I needed a bit more like just, I needed to be pointed in a direction a little bit more, which now I, you know, I'm, I mean I'm more experienced now and I feel more confident, you know, picking a direction now. But when I was just a Ph.D. student, I didn't have that yet. So I stopped uh, and I got a job as an instructor teaching physics and astronomy at my undergrad university. Uh, they just they needed somebody, and uh I took that job, and it was awesome. I really enjoyed that. I loved that job and I had the opportunity to teach this uh environment energy environment, and climate class right. and uh so that's what got me teaching that class and getting ready for it uh, was what got me interested in the whole subject and the climate system and uh then I just there was an opportunity at the end of my kind of teaching contract I was looking for you know something else to do and um, I got in touch with this PhD program out at Colorado State and uh, Taka Ito, an oceanographer out there, got in touch with me and uh, said, yeah, why don't you come over, and be an oceanographer in training. And uh, that's yeah. that's how it started. So it was also a bit random and um, uh, opportunity driven for me as well. And lots of people that I talk to have similar stories where... Uh, very, very few people have this story where they're like, well, since I was three, I wanted to, like, that's just not... Oh, <laughs> I wanted to be. <laughs> it happens. You Griff, uh, not, uh, yeah, you, you, uh, Griffith has a story like that, yeah. you know, he played on the beach when he was little and became a biologist, uh, you know, and that, but very, very few people, I think, have that story. True. So I think if you're, you know, a, a young person or, you know, thinking about your career, don't you don't have to have a story like that. You don't have to right. have this, since I was little, you, that's not a requirement at all. I wanted <laughs> you know. to be
2: like a dinosaur tractor-driving mm. space invader when yeah. I was a kid, so I'm pretty sure that's not a job. I think, it's like, like <laughs> yeah,
3: most genetic. people, I didn't really have any idea what I wanted to do, right? It was yeah. just,
0: who knows? How you know? How could you? You, yeah, you don't. Know, when you're exactly. little, you don't know anything about anything. <laughs> no. I didn't. I still feel like I don't know anything about <laughs> anything. No, I, don't <laughs> I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> Do yeah. I have to grow up? I <laughs> am I on the tube? It's summer. <laughs> um, yeah. So that. So um, Edinburgh before that. Yeah. Right before Imperial. Yeah, that's yeah. where I grew up yeah, as yeah. far as at school. Yeah, and the, and your folks are still there. You said they're still. Yeah, my parents are now. still
3: there for now. Although they're coming up to my mom's going to semi-retire in September and spend more trying to spend more time with um, us. I have a I have a young family now, so it'll be nice to see more of her yeah I don't think my dad will ever fully retire he's the kind of he'll be on his laptop fiddling away until his <laughs> deathbed i'm sure alcoholics yeah he' just lo- <laughs> you know he's just interested in his work right? it's not something he can turn off yeah um, yeah we'll that see. makes
0: me think of uh, it's a little random, but my one of the people I worked with in in astronomy was really proud to uh he worked in he he liked to tell people this he's like well, yeah, when I was in Germany, uh, I worked in the office where Gauss died. <laughs> like, <laughs> in this is his the actual, actual physical <laughs> yeah. office. Apparently, no, yeah, that's well, what he awesome. would say. Like, you know, that was, that was his office. Really. <laughs> 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 I wonder if you ever thought about that. Like, yeah, I'm writing down my theorems any minute now, I guess. <laughs> so, but academics have a hard time retiring, I think, for whatever reason. I mean, often yeah. it kind of... It kind of uh, I mean, it's different for different people, but, like, we end up doing this stuff because we really like it. You know, it's not lucrative. You're not going to make a lot of money doing it. And uh, so I, I guess the kind of folks who end up kind of not retiring or only semi-retiring, is consistent, right? You you get involved with this work because you're like, I want to do that. I'm yeah. fascinated by this. You want to make – you want to discover stuff. You want to make things. You want to write papers and, and things. So, there's some kind of consistency there. Can't get uh, out know. of it at the end.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's still clutching on and just yeah, like, yeah. No, but there's this one thing I haven't figured out <laughs> oh, yet. Yeah,
3: there's no yeah. nothing no piece of work is ever really finished, right? There's always something more you can do.
0: That makes me think of writing. I like to ask people about writing. How do you approach writing? Do you enjoy that? Do you like the like oh, papers? No.
3: Well it's more like yeah, I mean yeah. It feels more like banging my head against a brick wall and getting blood from a stone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to force myself to, like, you know, not open up MATLAB and fiddle with that bit of script, not open up Google and just check my emails one more time. <laughs> That's I, the hard thing, right? You get yeah, to yeah.
0: writing, you write something, and then you think, oh, I should I should check that, or I should look at it this way.
3: Yeah, or I just think, well, I've done that paragraph, now I can reward myself by <laughs> yes. looking at something, looking at BBC <laughs> News for two seconds. Uh, but yeah, I do have to, I work, I write better if I take myself and my laptop somewhere different, like to the canteen or to a cafe or something yeah, where I find that as well i 'm like now that why I'm, while i 'm here, the rules are i can 't do anything else, hmm. even though you could there 's nothing She's stopping me doing that at my desk hmm. I just don 't because it, i don 't know my working patterns are different, right my internet distractions or yeah. to do to switch screen and do something else but makes
0: me think I read about an academic on Twitter who um, for the last few months of their PhD, they did a, uh, what did they call it, a dissertation sabbatical or something like that. I don't know how they afforded it, but mm. they, they went to New York City, they got something in New York, and they would work really hard during the day, and then in the afternoons and evenings would reward themselves with like, well now I can go to a museum, and now right. I can go do yeah. this. You know, but, That sounds good. Yeah.
3: But yeah, I sometimes go to the central library as well. Like somewhere where I'm like, there's nothing, this is what I'm here to do and I'm not allowed to leave. Yeah, right. All I'm allowed to do while I'm here is write.
2: I find that those kind of, if you do, say, an hour or two hours or whatever, it you find that you're more productive in those two hours Definitely. than you would be in a whole morning. Mm. Exactly. I find on the train, because I commute every day, I spend an hour on the way writing and an hour on the way back, and I get often more done then than Definitely. I get done the whole yeah. rest of the well, day. You yeah. sit don't you
3: think, I've got all day, I'll just do this instead. Yeah for now
2: fiddling it's, with code classic well, time just, sync yeah. where did those three hours go exactly. oh and I've got a figure that's got slightly wider exactly lines exactly the figures yeah. oh you can yeah. I spent all day with figures he's like I'll
3: just sort this figure and then I'll write the paragraph actually you just spent all day on the
0: figure yeah no that's a good point I, I wrote a uh, I'm usually a very very slow writer and the paper I just submitted a month ago I pretty much wrote it all on a train like from writing to here and it just came out I just started writing it was just like it's still coming. Yeah, still, the thing. Like, I think you know. there's that like initial
3: hump you have to get over, like when you're trying to work the first few words and they won't come, or the first sentence. But somehow, and and your brain keeps going. Let's do something else. Let's do something <laughs> yeah. else. This is like, this is difficult. This is difficult. The, Let's do something else. Switch the, tab. Switch tab.
0: The toddler in your brain's like, come on, come on. Yeah.
3: Exactly. Same with like, me. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. But if you actually manage to get over that, like first ten minutes, then it comes more easily. But it's, yeah, it's less, it's harder than it should be to get over that first. Barrier, right? Maybe, it really is.
0: Maybe once a month we should just buy train tickets from here to <laughs> Inverness or something. <laughs> and just, just like, just like just have to wash out papers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> the, the free Wi Fi is rubbish, so you're stuck. Yeah, right. yeah that
2: is the other thing. When there's no internet and you just have to write. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. that's when
3: I read papers as well, actually, is when on train journeys. When I'm, you know, all those things that I've been meaning to read, mm-hmm. Like, I make sure they're downloaded. And then you, so that I can just, you know, then I sit. Got no choice. Sit and read them because there's nothing else to do anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that one day. If I've got like a real tight deadline, I'm just going to like. Go to Plymouth or something, you know, something kind of. far. Or no, it needs to be, you need, it needs to be a situation where you don't change trains for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So maybe i London to Penzance,
2: that. that's a good one. Five <laughs> and a half hours that.
0: Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's a good one.
3: But you want one with like nice, modern, smooth. Train, the good, good tea trolley,
0: yeah. and you need a, a table or something. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So you're not middle of the day, up, middle of the day. Yeah. yeah. So you're not curled up like T Rex. Yeah,
3: exactly. Those ta- home. Oh. <laughs> with your laptop pushing into
1: your rib cage. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah that's all really good stuff. So that is that. That's how you're writing your dissertation or my thesis, Ella, wait, oh, and things you're all the bits you're writing. You're doing it on the train, like here and back. You know?
2: I mean, yeah. I've got to the point where I've got so many deadlines. I'm also writing at work. Yeah. But I mean, yesterday <laughs> when all the trains weren't working, I decided to work from home, which involved sitting in a library and then going to sitting in the park, and it was actually great. Mm. Yeah, sitting in a park and writing a chapter about really dark Antarctic winter. It was. Quite bizarre, (laughs) surreal. (laughs) I
3: find those too. If I work from home, I have to work not in my
2: house. Oh god, yeah. Because then you just get distracted by.
3: Oh well, the kitchen's
2: extremely (laughs) clean. I could just
3: uh, do this, hang up this laundry, or the dishwasher needs emptying. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's hit or miss for me. Sometimes home can be really productive, and other times I just caught get caught in that housework tornado. (laughs) Yeah,
3: for sure. While I'm here, it would only take half an hour to, yeah.
0: Yeah, so you you've done um, you did this Arctic project not too long ago. Yeah, right?
3: so my first postdoc was technically in the Arctic. T cozy. Yep. Yeah. Although I don't know, I never. I, it was fun learning about the Arctic, but I've always felt like my home is in the Southern Ocean. <laughs> 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 Just, I guess because I did my thesis there, and all most people here in our group focus on the Southern Ocean. Even though, yeah, there's more. There's getting to be more and more Arctic work at Bass in general. It still felt like I was doing something a bit weird, a
2: bit out there. <laughs> yeah.
3: And you were um, doing this
0: like multi-model, you know, the model yeah, the CMIP five model suite so analysis.
3: The plan was to try and do some more eddy and eddy diffusivity calculations, but the Arctic turns out to be very not amenable to mm. <laughs> the techniques I had. It's much. It's very different from the Southern Ocean because it's it's a basin with a lot of shelf sea. And um, it's very quiescent, there's not many strong currents, um, and the eddies are, are very confined to the um, boundary currents. Um, so the techniques I had just didn't really work very
1: well. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, because in the southern, you kind of need, the, the boundary current is the important bit, right? You need the, the eddies to be in kind of open ocean, for
3: the kind yeah, of well, yeah. For the technique I was using, I needed strong currents and well-defined um, contours. Of, that you, could, yeah. Anyway, well-defined barriers and changes, and everything is a bit too slow and well mixed in the RT. Um, it was fascinating place. I mean, and there's a re- there is a really important role of eddies because it's those the currents are quite sluggish. The eddies do play a really important role. Um, and it's probably going to get more important as the sea ice retreats and there's more wind input yeah. into the Arctic.
0: And the Arctic won't be as kept off from the winds anymore. No, exactly. To melt.
3: So I ended up doing instead, doing a completely different piece of work, which was looking at, um, so there's, um, quite a lot of literature in the past five ten years linking changes in sea ice in it, in the Arctic with changes in atmospheric, um, Patterns in the northern hemisphere, and in particular, um, patterns called the um, North Atlantic Oscillation or the yeah. North Atlantic mode, the Nam or the NAO, which affect the weather in Britain. Um, and this is kind of linked to the kind of blocking signals that we saw um, earlier in the year, where we had the really cold weather, which people talked about how we were getting the Arctic winds, mm. and it was kind of. Due to, that's due to a particular phase of the NAM or the NAO. Yeah, so, so
0: blocking pattern is, you've got some pressure pattern that tends to push, like the jet stream, for example, around in a particular way.
3: Yeah, so it stops the kind of, normally our weather all comes from the west, right? We have this kind of propagation of signal. The wavy jet stream brings weather from the west. So, we're, you know, our, um, you can predict what our weather is going to be like. Looking upstream, the blocking pattern happens when a particular, yeah, there's a particular surface, uh, particular pressure pattern in the atmosphere that basically st- blocks the jet stream, and, um, and so that gets diverted to the north, and then then we end up getting weather from the northeast, yeah,
2: which is cold, cold Siberia, Arctic, yeah.
3: So we and that kind of and until it unsticks or unblocks the kind of the weather pattern doesn't really move. And so we end up just getting the winds continuously from the north and the northeast. So there's some, a lot of work in the last five, 10 years linking changes in these patterns, atmospheric patterns with changes in Arctic sea ice. So I just did a a very small model study looking at whether this relationship appeared in the latest set of models that appeared in the last IPCC report. So the C what yeah. we call the CMIC five models. Is yeah, yeah. it there? <laughs> Not really.
0: Oh. Oh. <laughs>
3: and we think it's probably because the atmosphere isn't well represented enough in these models. So you need a probably need a very good troposphere, which is the layer of atmosphere above <coughs> sorry, a good stratosphere. <laughs> where um, the layer of atmosphere directly above us so is the troposphere and then there's the strat- stratosphere and some of the models don't have a stratosphere um, and some you know the ones that do probably don't model it very well and it turns out that probably the mechanism for affecting these atmospheric patterns is that when you change the sea ice you change the vertical pro- you know you change the amount of radiation coming off of the water so when you explode, expose Um, open water to the atmosphere it gives off heat and that travels uh, and and if that happens over a large enough area you can trigger um, quite a big change in the vertical transport that goes into the from the troposphere and then into the stratosphere and that um, triggers changes in these atmospheric patterns that's the kind of that's the kind of best guess at the moment as to how this process works and there are particular areas where which seem to be more effective, such as the Barents and Kara Seas near Russia. it seem to be particularly effective at affecting these um, atmospheric patterns. But basically, so if your model doesn't, can't represent that chain of events, then it's not going to have the link. Um, we did see that the these atmospheric signals, pressure signals, were very important for setting temperatures in Europe, especially during the winter, which we kind of, which supports the literature. So it does kind of support that if that chain of events could be represented in models, then you might see that effect. But in those models, you don't see it.
0: Yeah. I think it's really interesting how you know all these model suites, they get the big picture right in terms of the climate change. You know, They get the zero earth first order kind of picture right. Now There's they a lot of the details. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, you get a physical system, and you put some more energy into it, and then the energy is going to go somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> you know,
3: I mean, yeah, you can argue devil's advocate that they're designed to... Rep- I mean, they've been tuned and designed to reproduce primarily observations of global mean surface temperature. And so, not surprisingly, they do that very well.
0: Yeah, so that's how they, they were kind of validated, is mm-hmm. based on the you know previous behaviour of how that surface temperature responds. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And there's a lot of things that are, we know are bad about these models, but are allowed to remain bad because if changing them to how to be more realistic actually turns out to make them predict temperature you know, worse. Or well, because you have you cancelling errors. Well, exactly, because there's things... Cancel each
2: other out somewhere else in the model.
3: <laughs> if you say, if you try and make your Arctic sea ice the best Arctic sea ice possible, then actually you end up changing other things in the model because it's not perfect that end up making the overall predictions mm-hmm. for the global mean surface temperature worse so you don't do that
0: yeah so some of those models as part of that suite will do a better job at representing the arctic and yeah. some will do a worse job at representing the arctic and the ones that do a good job at representing the arctic aren't necessarily the same ones that have the best kind of global meaning no and we know that
3: they're all pretty bad at the arctic and even worse Mm. at the antarctic at the moment (laughs) yeah Yeah. we're hoping so that's this is a kind of positive note is that there is the next suite coming out this year of the next kind of generation of climate models that will go into the next ipcc report and that's from something called the CMIP 6 experiment so yes that's it kind of will be exciting to see um hopefully how much better they are <laughs> yeah. and if any of the results we've looked at before have changed
0: yeah well it's an interesting idea right there's some folks here in the building who they do <coughs> um, like tom Bracekirtle thinks about you've got the cmip suite how do you identify you know, oh these models do a good job at representing process x so if you're interested in process x these are the ones that you need to select Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I'm not super familiar with that work, but I know he's Yeah, done.
3: so, but then the, there's the other side of the coin is that none of the models are right, so you might actually want to keep more models because you're getting a spread. That gives you a, a, a bigger spread in parameter space. Mm, yeah. And yeah. what you actually might want is, you, you know none of the models are right, but the parameter space can tell you something about, because you know what the real world does, you know, the spread and parameter and space can actually inform you in a way that a single model that's not right can't yeah. inform you.
0: What's the quote, all models are wrong, but some are useful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
3: And actually, so maybe, all, you know, each model is wrong, but together they can be useful. It's another yeah. way of looking at it.
0: As a suite, as yes. a collection. I wonder that we kind of touched on it earlier. Uh, I like hopping around, and yeah. I have been hopping around. Um this idea of, you know, striking a kind of work-life balance of, you know, how do you configure that? And, um, well, and Ella, we talked about that a bit on your, your episode a little while ago, so it um, seems like a nice topic. So how do you achieve that for yourself, like trying to configure a good, you know, work-life balance, whatever that means. I mean, that it could mean different things to different people, but... Um, you mentioned this, you know, vision of, you know, your dad on a laptop over in the corner, you know, uh, not while you were actively performing, but, you know, in the in the spaces. Yeah. So and I imagine you must have some pictures like that in your head as you're trying to, I'm guessing, you know, as you try to figure out, well, how do I actually set this up properly and balance this properly?
3: Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like most people, it's like a work in progress, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm never entirely happy with them. I think I tend to fall down on giving my personal life priority at the moment because I have young kids and so I'm always feeling the slight working parent guilt that I'm not giving as much of my time as I would like to to my work. So I tend to, I come to, I work three days a week full time and then I basically tend to almost, unless I have a pressing deadline or something that specific that I need to get done, I almost will never do any work apart from that, mm. even though I sometimes think that I, sh- I feel like I should be doing it, which <laughs> is silly because I work my errors, so I, sh- I shouldn't have to. Yeah. But there's also the kind of feeling that, you know, I should be getting on and trying to get more papers out. And as a postdoc, you're all, your position, in, as you know, is like, you know, never quite certain. And you the feel more the... work you've done, yeah. you feel like the more secure you'll be.
0: Although there's... It's never enough, no, no matter what well, you do. No, you exactly. Never feel like so it's <laughs> I tend not to work
3: in the evenings or weekends or on my days off, which is part partly a choice in that I don't really want to feel like I should have to, even though I still some feel some guilt about that. And all, partly it's just practicality in that I have young children and that I haven't got any space in my brain or my life. <laughs> yeah. For work, when I'm, you know, if I'm at home with the kids all day, you know, their needs and wants and take up everything and then in the evening it's feeding them getting them to bed to cleaning up after them and then maybe got an hour or two of time for myself and time to spend with my husband as an adult and then you know I want to go to bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know where I'd fit it in. I mean I'd it, this, this is the thing I feel like if I wanted to do any more work I'd have to sacrifice what I feel like is my kind of precious golden hour or two in the evening where I get to relax and do yeah. things for myself
0: and chances are, I mean, I'm speaking personally sometimes I can do something in this in that hour or two that you're talking about but yeah. more often than not, I'm just fried and my brain yeah. is just done and you're and doing and rubbish just, you know.
2: work and it's poor quality and there's basically no point, you'll get more out of spending that time <coughs> doing your own thing, relaxing yeah. and chilling out
3: well that's what I think, but yeah there's always somebody out there who works harder than you right? of or you think is working harder than you, or seems to be able to mm. work long hours effortlessly and achieve multiple papers. Yes,
0: I think if you want to make yourself feel bad about your productivity, that's super easy to do. Yes, <laughs> Super easy. I you try can not find. To. Yeah, no, it's not good to. It's, it's not, not healthy. Worth it.
1: No, especially
3: as I've taken, I've taken two sets of maternity leave, and I now work part time. It's really tempting for me to look back at my peers. Or so people who I think of as my peers, so people who finish their PhD around the same time as me and look at what they're doing now and think, Why haven't I doing that? Why haven't I um got a permanent position and have my own PhD students yet? Because this person does and this person does. And actually they don't they've never they haven't taken any time off. Right. So it's completely, it's not a fair comparison whatsoever, but the temptation is to look at them and be like, well, I've fallen yeah. behind. Well, and, I, you know, in some senses I have, but actually the add of my working hours I'm never near there, so I shouldn't be beating myself up, but it's, it's tempting to beat yourself up anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not always very good at this, but I, I try not to compare myself with anybody else and uh that's good. like i said i no <laughs> i'm not always i'm not always i'm not always but <laughs> I'm not always good at that, but it's something i tr- tried for anyway um i just i think all you can really do right is try to try to improve yourself personally and try to have a friendly competition with yourself and and nobody yeah. else that's probably all you can do no. is to to say well what can I do and what can I accomplish and to, don't look too much at, you know, what other people are, are doing.
3: Yeah, my mantra is as well, I always tell myself, we're probably going to be working into our 70s, there'll be plenty of time <laughs> to be PI, win grants, work all hours, you know. That's a good perspective. this year, but I'll, I have decades... <laughs> touch wood, I've decades, I'm decades ahead of have, me. Once your kids are a little bit older. Exactly. I have, <laughs> l- I have plenty of time to work myself <laughs> into the ground if I want to. Hopefully. Oh you're you all that to know, look forward. So. To. <laughs> <laughs> I mean if I'm not that produ- if I'm not accelerating right now, then that's okay. Mm-hmm. As long as I can keep hopefully doing enough to keep getting more work. <laughs> and
2: you're not just your work, are you? No, like exactly. everyone has the side of them that is work, and then the rest of their life, which no. is just as important. Exactly. Yeah, no, yeah.
3: like they say, no one looks back on their deathbed and says, "I wish I worked harder." Right? So. <laughs> Maybe girls. <guess. laughs> no, exactly. So I'm happy with. Yeah, I'm overall happy with my choices, but those that doesn't mean those thoughts don't always. Yep. Squirrel around,
0: right? For me, those at the like 3am, I shouldn't be awake right now, thoughts of like torturing myself of like, why didn't I, do? it's not, it's not a good space to be in, right? You don't want to, you don't want to be there. You can't, Nothing you can't. Nothing good happens at 3am. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, you can't torture yourself like that. It's just, it'll drive you, drive you mad. Uh, it'll drive you absolutely crazy. Speaking from personal experience, <laughs> Yeah. So how's your uh, Ella, how's your balance going these days? Cause uh, you, you talked about you have the the gym that you're running. You're still active with the the gym stuff. Yeah, Mark, so you know? I have yeah.
2: a full time boxing career. Right. Plus, wow. I run a feminist awesome. boxing gym, yeah. and I also attempt to have a social life outside my PhD. <laughs> so I, as soon as I get on off the train, no work happens. Yeah. Yeah. I when yeah. I'm in London, that's my own time yeah. when I'm in Cambridge or on a train, that's work. Yeah. That's a good way to have it. That's so really weekends healthy. are always yeah. one. Well, I mean, I'm still working 40 hours a week. That's yeah, yeah. You're definitely working. So you're working <laughs> <enough>. For sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm getting enough done, so I feel like there's no need to no. increase it because I know that I will just be unproductive. Mm, definitely. <laughs> Sit at your desk going, mm. just fiddling <laughs> with this code, going on Twitter. No, it's, yeah. Not the same. It's too maybe.
0: easy to let that work part of your life just balloon up and take over yeah. all of it. Because it absolutely could. It's so easy. There's yeah. more, more than enough work to be done. And like There's you were saying, Emma, more. you always feel that pressure about like, I need to be better, I need to be better. Um, and it, yeah, if you let it, it will just eat you alive. <laughs> so you have to find a way to... You have to put these barriers up in your life. Like, nope, this is family time. Yeah. Or nope, this is adult time. Or nope, this is boxing time. I'm going to hit somebody Yeah, now. And, I suppose like, you know, we all
2: have defined on off switches there if you've got i'm at home with yeah exactly i've got i'm in a boxing gym would be quite hard to write a paper right now <laughs> <laughs> these gloves are really really restrictive <laughs> oh hang on a second i just had an idea <laughs> like, check on my model right <laughs>
0: I do kind of want to see that now. You're trying to code <laughs> with, the boxing, like boxing with the Chester, gloves on. Right? You, you know?
3: could do boxing academia. And oh, stuff. God. Boxing academia. <laughs>
0: what, would look like? what would that look like?
3: Yeah, around boxing and then, I don't know, 10 minutes to write oh. an
2: abstract. <laughs> oh, my God. I'd probably get about four words. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm not, not making. This isn't a statement about you, but the comedy thing that popped into my head was then like, "Why is this abstract so aggressive?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely could be a punchline. We'll destroy the conclusion <laughs> of <laughs> <laughs> Meredith. That I was completely wrong. <laughs> I think he. I think he liked that. <laughs> yeah. That must be, you must, I mean, that, that, there must be different emotional spaces, I would imagine. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Entirely. Like, you know, yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Entirely different. But yeah, kind you know. of nice, right? Yeah, exactly. I
3: like, That's the thing I like about my cycle home is it's mm. a good 25 minutes by, especially at this time of year, it's just so nice to be outside. And yeah. Actually, by the time I get home, my brain, you know, processed everything that's left to process about work and it's all gone it's faded right? into the distance exactly it's yeah. a
2: gradual processing isn't it I find the same thing when I'm cycling to the station I'm like really fried as I need work ah, yeah. and you get there and you're like whew no. done <laughs> yeah
0: oh. mm. I think I might have a touch of work- workaholism because I find it hard to totally switch that off I think I need to do a bit better job of finding something the finding some way that help? sometimes I listen to a lot of podcasts um, right. which is what got me started doing this yeah that helps a lot, honestly, just listening to people talk for some reason, that's really calming. Turns and that's, off, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you can just listen to a yeah. chat and just listen to, I wonder to, if there's something you know,
3: different that's about the actual physical exercise. There probably is to do with the different,
2: you know, things that get, you know, hormones and things. I suppose you have to think more about your breathing, which necessarily means you're thinking less.
0: <laughs> hmm. yeah, yeah, it's like a. Um, I find sw- swimming is
2: the most meditative thing for me because you cannot think about anything apart oh, from. I find it too boring. <laughs> your breathing. Oh,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah? Oh, you found swimming boring? Or, yeah, uh, well, I've yeah. never
3: done it that I mean, I enjoy like swimming for pleasure on holiday and stuff. So I occasionally tried, or like, once or twice I tried to go exercise in the pool, and after like two or three laps, I was like, just. I've, I've been here like, what? Two minutes? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> but I guess you have to get past that and into the yeah. zen state, but yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I, I'm just thinking now about, like, I probably should do... You, you have to do stuff for yourself, too, right? Like, you you mentioned all the family stuff. Do you ever find time for, like, okay, this is just Emma Emma yeah, time well right
3: that's now? The, like, yeah, well, it that's, like, 9 to 10 p.m., or, like, 8.30 to 10. Yeah, just watching T V or doing some knitting or chatting to my family. Yeah. Talking to my husband. You know, that kind of stuff. Although, you know, there are days when that gets taken up by life admin. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you don't necessarily need like so I, I, I don't know if this is a product of being only kid or not. Every now and then I need just like Go just me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just no, sometimes I, guess no. I
3: don't really know. I guess I mean I've had I have brothers and sisters, so no. But I can kind of understand that hmm. what yeah. do you have? what do you do in your downtime time then
0: uh I like music a lot yeah i'm I just totally amateur just for fun, but yeah, I like to play music and um i uh back in the states, I had an electric guitar and I had an electric bass and a recording set up, oh, and cool. I would you know and I, I couldn't bring that all, all that over here with me, unfortunately. It's too too expensive to get it all over here. But uh, I broke down and bought a little acoustic guitar and things, and I fiddle around with that a little bit oh, when fun. I can. And yeah, so that's that's good. And um, walking and you know listening to stuff and uh, yeah, so it's, I try to do that, but I should do it a little bit more. Um, you need an intense yeah, hobby. <laughs> an intense, yeah, an intense. I do. I need an intense hobby. What's um, shoplifting? Wait, no, that's probably. <laughs> Might be some problems with that. It would be intense. It would certainly be intense, and It would yeah. be an intense hobby, Perhaps yeah. ill-advised. Like... <laughs> yeah, probably ill-advised. Okay. <laughs> Just small things like candy bars and, you know, like... what are you... clips. Hair clips. Hair <laughs> clips. Why are you stealing
2: these? <laughs> uh
0: a um, bit of a clipto. Cliptomania. <laughs> no Fantastic. That was really good. That was just on the spot, too. <laughs> Cliptomania. So what do you do, Ella, apart
3: from bo- if you're not boxing? you?
2: I do that quite a lot. That's about it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do enjoy hanging out outside. Yeah. I mean, the, the training thing is, like, a 20-hour-a-week vibe. Uh, but, like, running is very much the same, like, on my own. I go out and I just... The thing and you come back all like whew, refreshed. Yeah. nice
0: Yeah.
2: But yeah, hanging out with my partner, I guess, seeing friends,
0: mm. chilling out. Going to the beer festival? The beer festival this week. Yeah, tomorrow <laughs> tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um you ever gone to that? I know you live in London. Have you ever popped over to the I don't fast, drink. And you don't have to. I also you don't can... live
2: in London, so. You don't, I mean, live, in I don't Cambridge, live in Cambridge. Right?
0: So. You don't have to drink to have fun. It's a nice. It's a no, nice atmosphere. I think
3: there's designated driver perks. I can't remember what they are, but there are some. <laughs> and there's like a good. There's a cheese yeah. counter. Yeah, yeah. There's
2: loads of cool stuff. Yeah,
0: it's a neat. I it did just, just giant... in
2: Norwich when I was there. We yeah. I mean, had one in the venue I used to run. Hmm. which was cool. Also, I did drink then, and they had a lot of leftover beer, and it <laughs> was really
0: good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you think
3: about coming along tomorrow, it's very, it's very nice atmosphere. Yeah, if you're
0: it's, around, there's you some know. folks. Hang hey, on, what
3: day is it? Wednesday? It's on a Wednesday. Well, it's, it's all week. All week. It's all okay, week. that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. But,
3: but it's, a... you know, it's nice. It's outside. There's a tent. There's a lovely weather like... for it. It is. And yeah. You can just
0: hang out with people and talk. And, and there's you know, also it's get...
3: this mead, this... Cider and Perry as well. Yeah.
0: There must be just some soda options and things too, or or yeah. water, or whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of food, food stalls, food trucks, and things. Great, so well, that sums it up. Yeah. group <laughs> <yeah. laughs> going at five. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a it opens at, at five, five, so you yeah. have to
3: get there at five. Otherwise, the queues get a bit crazy. That's basically. true. You can get a souvenir yeah. glass. And by Friday, a lot of the beer, the good stuff, is run out. But then that doesn't really matter if you're not drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, souvenir glass is good.
0: Yeah, I mean Emma won't be. Yeah, I would imagine as well. I well, don't, yeah, so, I, know. Well, I'll
3: have my. They, they do them in thirds now sometimes, mm. so I might have a half or a third. A, a but little but, bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
3: most the taste. Yeah, my um, kids have been every year since they have been born. <laughs> I think it was my mum my son's fourth or fifth.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're well, doing the day. It's actually perfectly family friendly. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, there's
3: even the kids' tent. I don't know, around the side. It's kind of hidden, but
2: yeah, grape juice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All the different kinds of barrels of grape juice. <laughs> nice. Well, how do you feel? Do you want to talk about anything else? Anything else you want to cover?
3: I think so. Well, thanks for having me, and yeah, thanks for joining us, Sarah. Yeah,
0: it's been thanks really for fun. Thanks yeah, for it's coming along. Nice enjoy... It has been fun. Yeah, thanks for talking. Thanks for your time as well. No, no problem. You know, I know all of our time is uh, pressed. We have a lot of stuff going on, but uh, yeah, this is awesome. Thanks a lot.
3: No problem. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have to say like cut?
0: No. Cut. The
3: alarm sounds. There's no. Falls down. There's a. Wow, that's an hour and the a half. There's a
0: soft start and a soft ending as well you know yeah. it, it never there's never a formal I'm still recording there's never a formal <laughs> start and never a formal <laughs> there you have it my conversation with Emma Boland with the uh, guest host Ella Gilbert you can find Emma Boland on Twitter at Emma J.D. Boland and you can find Ella at Dr. underscore Gilbs, that's with a G and uh, you can also find they both have profiles at the British Antarctic Survey so thanks again to both Emma and Ella for their time and for a great conversation um, and that's basically it, I don't have any announcements or anything, we're still on a roughly two week schedule so uh, stay in touch you can also uh, keep up with us, this podcast that is at climatescipod on twitter that's just Pod. POD for the pod part of course and uh, we're available through Anchor you know on a lot of different platforms Uh, Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Overcast and a few other platforms that I'd never heard of so uh, thanks to Anchor for the distribution help and uh, yeah talk to you next time keep the feedback coming in Uh, some folks have been tweeting at the podcast giving some feedback here and there please do keep on doing that I appreciate it And uh, we'll see you later. Take care.